Namaste. As part of the series on collected works of the mother, today we will take up volume 2, which has been titled as Words of Long Ago. Um, basically, as we have seen, there are those conversations of the mother which has been done in the ashram with the disciples, primarily in the playground. Then there are other talks uh, which are like commentaries on thoughts and aphorisms. And then there are uh, certain other, depending on question answers, which have been taken out separately. And then there is the series on words of long ago. Uh, words of the mother. Words of the mother comprises of uh, words of long ago, then also volume 14 and 15. That is how the old arrangement was. So, words of long ago, basically it is long ago in the sense that these are the mother's uh, writings, conversations, notes, reflections, prayers, all uh, before 1920, except the prayers and meditation, wali prayers. So, prayers and meditations uh, are obviously, many of them are before 1920, some are afterwards. That's a separate volume. And there are some prayers which have been found later which have been incorporated in words of long ago. So, uh, this basically, this volume contains everything before 1920 and there is one earliest known composition of the mother, which was when she was a 15-year-old child. So, as a 15-year-old, they were given essays to write and the mother wrote the essay, The Path of Later On. And uh, those who are feeling lazy, okay, it will happen, we will do the yoga in its own time, who are wasting time, who are whiling away time, in some measure everyone does that, most people do that. But when you read this, you can see that tremendous force that the mother embodied. She is, uh, there is a line in Savitri, in her there was the anguish of the gods. So she wants to move without uh, wasting a single moment. That's how one can see there. And this continues right till the mother's, uh, what we can call as final days of the earthly Leela, when she would literally shout, make me walk. That's how the disciples, because you know, uh, the body was going through all kinds of conditions. And even then, because like a lioness, she would want to push, push, push herself to the extreme. And you can see this uh, well reflected in this uh, essay, earliest writing of the mother, uh, which is uh, documented here. There are writings which have not come, seen the light of the day. Like she used to uh, write poetry uh, very often during those states when she was in a kind of walking in a trance. And this was even as a child and she would write poetry. And many of these things are uh, not retrievable. But one of them is words, uh, the path of later on. And then there are different sections in this book. For instance, there are letters, essays written in Japan. There is a lot of material which is in Japan. And finally, there is a collection of stories. So, collection of stories are often people when they take it out and copy-paste it, they take it as the mother. But actually, it is. These were. this was a collection by uh, another individual, F.J. Gold, and she had translated them into French and adapted from there. So these are not stories written by the mother. 
this collection includes some of the stories written by the mother but that's a different section so there are stories written by the mother which come in the early part of the uh, volume and tales of all times are not stories written by the mother they are uh, they are her selection from one of the books written by fj gold and she had taken some of them adapted into french then they were translated some have been later on added incorporated uh, in this volume so technically it is very difficult to uh, say or to quote those stories as stories from the mother so this the but anyways they have found entry into this volume whether the mother would have wanted or not is uh, difficult to say but yes uh, they were published during the mother's physical presence though in collected works of the mother which have been which were brought out in 1978 uh, during her centenary uh, she was obviously uh, nobody could consult her and ask her whether they should go in this section or not they are beautiful stories but this just to be aware so we will uh, just touch upon some of them so the first part contains some beautiful stories and some of the writings uh, the path of later on is the earliest one then there is a beautiful story called the virtues so it's a story where uh, all the gods are coming into the palace of truth and uh, when all of them have come at the end there is a very shy modest goddess who wants to take an entrance and nobody recognizes her they ask her who are you and then she says uh, yes nobody knows me or values me my name is gratitude so mother has given so much importance to this uh, story and she would often say that gratitude is such a rare thing it's the expression of the psychic in mat- in matter and uh, this this is a beautiful story it can be adapted into a play at least i have been involved in turning it into a play and staging it it's a beautiful story you can actually adapt it into a play there is a beautiful sapphire tale which is all about two beings who are far away and they discover each other and how destiny brings them together and it's a story which is from the beginning till end uh, happiness ever after a story about a leader which is probably based on a true experience where a russian revolutionary uh, comes to france seeking help and uh, she speaks to him without judging him but at the end she says that how are you going to bring about the revolution using methods that are themselves so violent and this is not likely to you are trying to throw injustice uh, by yourself indulging in something which cannot be really called as just ways and this is very much a reminder to all of us there is a very beautiful uh, essay on to know how to suffer and maybe i'll start with reading something from that to know how to suffer it's a small little essay and just a few lines <clears throat> it's something which is like you know many of the essays in this are really should be taken out as a handbook each one selection to keep them always for ready reference this is a essay which though it is you know long ago words of long ago it is 
perennially applicable at all times one can use it because when can one say truly that suffering has vanished and she says uh, not simply as a theory so she says very clearly my heart has suffered and lamented almost breaking beneath a sorrow too heavy almost sinking beneath a pain too strong but i have called to thee o divine comforter i have prayed ardently to thee and the splendor of thy dazzling light has appeared to me and revived me many of us may be aware that the mother's life was there was lot of i i don't know whether i should use the word suffering because if you really look at uh, some of these things it's uh, probably much more than what any human being can even imagine suffering and she received it from everyone uh, who were around and uh, at the same time when she came here she took all the physical maladies on herself and it's not that she loves suffering not at all so she gives us that advice but how she has faced them and that is why she could tell us that you know faith is the surest guide in the darkest days at the end of the tunnel there is light because she has gone through all this this is the, what the avatar is about so she speaks of the, uh, that and um and then she says something which is uh, something very unique to the uh, phenomena of avatar uh, gods are wonderful good good beings nice creatures but you know they don't understand human suffering they may help you because that agony and pain that one goes through taking a human body a mortal body an imperfect world full of limitations on one side and full of anguish of aspiration for the ideal on another side that's what characterizes human beings but the avatar takes a human body understands what it means to be human and therefore the remedy he gives are permanent and ultimate so we see here see gods you pray they will um, take care you know maybe if they if they are happy they will take care of that moment that's it but the avatar comes to give you a radical permanent remedy only those who have suffered can understand the suffering of others understand it commune with it and relieve it so this is what there is a very nice uh, video which i had seen long back uh, long long back and it's something which i always recommend that every healer should see it's about the wounded healer later on they brought out a series but the original video was wonderful it's about you cannot understand and heal unless you have yourself gone through the malady so she says that she has gone through all this and <clears throat> and then she says i understood o divine comforter sublime holocaust that in order to sustain us in all our troubles to soothe all our pangs thou must have known and felt all the sufferings of earth and man all without exception so we understand the profound word of the gita when shri krishna says i take all this suffering upon myself she was drinking the poison and of course mother and shubhendra and their life and then she says how is it that among those who claim to be thy worshippers some regard thee as a cruel torturer as an inexorable judge witnessing the torments that are tolerated by thee or even created by thy own will so once for all once for all once for all 
Because even now I hear people saying the mother is testing me, the divine does not test. He doesn't need to test. Who tests? Who does not know? <laughs> but divine has become us. Several times he says that the divine does not test. So who tests? Well, there are forces. Enough. These forces come, they test, they create obstacles, they create challenges. The divine is in our side. He is there to help, take upon himself the burden. Because the moment we say divine is testing me, then we have created a big distance. How do you go to the one who is testing and saying, please help me? So she is on our side, she understands her difficulties, she understands the why of it, the wherefore of it and helps us to go through that whole process, taking it upon herself. And so there are religions which say, God tests you, punishes you, condemns you and she says, in one go, that how is it that people say such things? Because in her experience, it is not that way. She has experienced it. She says, how is it that people say that you are a cruel torturer who creates sufferings so that people can remember him? I have not heard of any worse kind of, uh, I would say this is blasphemy. To say that the divine sends us pain and suffering so that we may remember him. If at all there is a blasphemy, it is this. <laughs> so, so she says, now... No, I now perceive that these sufferings come from the very imperfection of matter, which in its disorder and crudeness is unfit to manifest these. So see, all this idea about karma, all this, he goes to the root of the problem. You take a human body, body is limited, aspiration is unlimited. Invariably, matter cannot accommodate that. And Why do we suffer? We suffer because uh, always in life we will see that our aspiration and the practical reality, it doesn't match. Of course, we don't even understand what is that perfect state, but we all seek some kind of perfection in life. But it is not. Why it is not? Because matter is unable to accommodate that or to plastic enough. So, they are giving us the permanent remedy and for the entire earth. So, but she reminds us, suffering is not something inevitable or even desirable. It's not like God sent me suffering so that I can remember thee. No. But when it comes to us, how helpful it can be. Each time we feel that our heart is breaking, a deeper door opens within us. Unfortunately, we keep looking at the doors which are closing. But we don't look at That's the story of Draupadi. One door after another closes. Then finally she remembers the inner door. Hirdaya Kamalvasi on which the Lord is seated. And that's what she says, that revealing new horizons, even richer in hidden treasures, the, the reward of suffering, revealing new horizons, whose golden influx brings once more a new and intenser life to the organism on the brink of destruction. This is 1910. Mark the words, on the brink of destruction. Even if you are right, as if everything is going to shatter, she says, make the supreme leap of faith and know that the divine never fails us. Then there are, of course, many talks. Uh, randomly we'll take uh, one by one some passages. One is on thought and she speaks about the best thought, the highest thought and different types of thought and, and probably, in, yes, I want to read Toward the end, there is a passage in it. And this passage is very interesting. 
this is my version or understanding of the mother's rendering of the gayatri mantra not just the gayatri mantra vishwamitra gayatri but sure bindos gayatri in french or english this is my to my revelation it's no way written she is not written like that but mark the words <clears throat> and i love to remember this and and to read it it's so simple this is during one of the talks she has given in a group and these talks had to be written because next day they would uh, reflect upon it i would like us to make the resolution to raise ourselves each day in all sincerity and goodwill in an ardent aspiration towards the sun of truth get it so it is the sun of truth but she is describing the inner state towards the supreme light the source and intellectual life of the universe the universe is intelligent what is the source of the intelligence it is that supreme light of truth so that now comes the other part tat savitur varam rupam chotihi parasya dhimahi yannah satyen dipayat so now comes the other part so that it may pervade us entirely and illumine with its great brilliance our minds and hearts all our thoughts and our actions if ever there is a complete rendering of the sense of the uh, gayatri mantra and i i, I am saying both vishwamitra gayatri and shurbindos gayatri it is this so it is in volume 2 i'll just read quickly again i would like us to make the resolution to raise ourselves each day in all sincerity and goodwill in an ardent aspiration towards the sun of truth towards the supreme light the source and intellectual life of the universe so that it may pervade us entirely and illumine with its great brilliance our minds and hearts all our thoughts and our actions then she closes with these words then we shall acquire the right and the privilege of following the counsel of the great initiate of the past who tells us then we have the right and the privilege to do something which she is going to reveal without which if we have not entered into this kind of a invocation of the truth in our life and if our minds and hearts are not illumined we don't have the adhikar the right for something which she is going to tell us with your hearts overflowing with compassion go forth into this world torn by pain be instructors and wherever the darkness of ignorance rules their light torch so it's not that you know one can just become a teacher or instructor simply by reading books and having scholarly interpretations in the mind very clearly first there should be this turning toward the sun of truth it's entry into a life illumination some kind of illumination we may use the word enlightenment all these are different words and then the heart should be full of compassion that there is suffering in the world you should be moved by that compassion not that oh i want to give a teaching or something no the heart should be full of compassion and then one can over overflowing with compassion go forth into this world torn by pain who is the who is the uh, in the past who gave this great truth my own senses it is the buddha with whom the mother had a very great inner uh, both contact and a rapport so
then uh, there is a whole thing on dreams which is wonderful for those who want to understand dreams it is a complete thing you won't find it in any of the dream interpretations everything that you need to know about dreams and also how to master them this is a stand alone that's why i'm saying this is a wonderful book which many people don't discover because words of long ago okay okay we want to read it directly <laughs> then there is this wonderful essay which has come out in a small booklet the supreme discovery and it's a very big uh, essay but see uh, the ancient traditions rightly said our origin and ourselves our god and ourselves are one so hamasmi what a profound way she is revealing this truth and it is one of the things that marks the difference between sanatan dharma and the semitic thought semitic thought is no there can you cannot be one with god there will be one mediator and that mediator is the only son of god and all others or a prophet or whatever who received the teaching you have to receive it follow it obey it so that when you die you will be redeemed in heaven that's all this that is the only consummation possible but here she is revealing something else see the great truth of the upanishads and all indic religions which includes sikhism which includes you know other paths that you and the creator are one deep within not in in the egoistic sense but deep within <clears throat> it's a very beautiful uh, essay and i am just resisting the temptation <laughs> but some of the passages i'll read um, from here and there okay when in each atom of matter men shall recognize the indwelling thought of god when each man can see god in his brother then dawn will break dispelling the darkness the falsehood the ignorance all nature suffers and laments as he awaits the revelation of the sons of god not son of god but those who are able to have this wonderful vision okay this is very beautiful we keep quibbling over okay forest big issues <laughs> look here what she is saying then we shall understand the vanity and childishness of our meager satisfactions our foolish quarrels our petty passions our blind indignations when when we will see the divine thought working in everything when we shall sense the divine presence in everything we shall see the dissolution of our little faults the <laughs> little faults we think of too much the crumbling of the last entrenchment of a limited personality and our obtuse egoism we shall feel ourselves being swept along by this sublime current of true spirituality which will deliver us from our sorrow from our narrow limits and bounds the individual self and the universal self are one and then she says how to do it so <laughs> this the methods also she says and then something else after 
telling some of the method there. Very beautiful, simple writings. What value have our impulses and our desires, our anguish and our violence, our sufferings and our struggles, all these inner vicissitudes unduly dramatized by our unruly imagination? Isn't it true? Oh, you know what happened to me. Ten years ago, you know how I fell and this happened. <laughs> dramatized. Vital loves to dramatize. And then unruly imagination. It's okay. You fell, you got up, you walked. <laughs> that story. You learnt a lesson, you became a little more conscious. So this is how little value. What value do they have before this great, this sublime and divine love pervading over us from the innermost depths of our being, bearing with our weaknesses? See, this is the conception of the divine in Mother and Shurabindo. All those who say the mother will punish, the mother will judge, the mother says, mother is a strict disciplinarian, must know once for all who she is. So she is not, uh, we have painted in her in the image of the traditional religious thought. So what does she say? Divine love bending over us from the innermost depths of her being. She is here. She bends over us. Bearing with her weaknesses, rectifying our errors, Healing our wounds, bathing our whole being with its regenerating streams. So when somebody says, oh, I am full of defects, I think mother has given up on me. <laughs> and if mother has given up, you won't be alive even to write this. <laughs> because there will be no existence. <laughs> in fact, you are living and we are always living in this world or another. Is a sign that she, she never gives us. We give up. It's important that we don't give up because then we support the action. Otherwise, we create a big thick wall. For the inner Godhead, now see, see the divine mother's aspect she is bringing, words of long ago though. For the inner Godhead never imposes herself. For the inner Godhead never imposes herself. She neither demands nor threatens. She offers and gives herself. Conceals and forgets herself in the heart of all beings and things. Where is the mother? She is in our heart. This is as old as the Katupanishad. This is Aditi. In the heart of all creatures. This is what you are seeking on Achiketa. Yes, for the earthly Leela, she has taken a form. So it helps us because then when we seek in the heart, we have a form on which we can meditate. Otherwise it will be so difficult. So she is in the heart. She has taken a form, she has taken a name. She has made it so simple. So how to find the mother and her presence in the heart by meditating upon her. There is a form and of course very simply mama and that's it. So she says, she, does, she doesn't judge, doesn't... Uh, she never accuses. She neither judges nor curses nor condemns. There is no eternal damnation, nothing like that. But, so what does she do? Does she just watch the play? No. Why she is using the word inner Godhead in she? Because there is the he also. He watches the play. But what does she do? She leans, but works unceasingly to perfect without constraint. To mend without reproach. Ten thousand times you go and say, Mother, 
I did it again. You may add oops, but she doesn't. She says, okay, come my child. That's all she says. You must have the faith that she will do it for you. She has said all this in different places also. To mend without reproach, to encourage without impatience. I have been telling you so many times, your bread, you are doing again and again. This is the love. To enrich each one with all the wealth he can receive. She is the mother whose love bears fruit and nourishes, guards and protects, counsels and consoles because she understands everything. She can endure everything. Excuse and pardon everything. Hope and prepare for everything. Bearing everything within herself. She owns nothing that does not belong to all. And because she reigns over all, she is the servant of all. That is why all great and small who want to be kings with her and gods in her become like her. Not despots, but servitors among their brothers. This is the sign that one is mother's child. They are not despots. They are like mother. They are joyously, they become the servant of all. And then she says, she reaffirms this. There is a story of one's mother cleaning the, on the balcony, there was little crow droppings. And Devan Bhai saw and he came, hey, mother, mother, I'll do it. She laughs and says, my child is nothing. Every day I have to do so much of cleaning in the devotees and disciples. This nothing. This is the mother. How beautiful is the humble role of servant. The role of all who have been revealers and heralds of the God who is within all, of the divine love that animates all things. Again she starts revealing to us the path and the passage. At the end she specially has a word to say, You who weep, who suffer and tremble and beautiful, very powerful. It's a permanent guide. Any time, you know, one feels lost, one can read it. And she says something very beautiful. It's the highest word I have at least read, having read so much everywhere. The most balanced and the highest word about man. Look what she says. And if no being in all the universe is as frail as man, neither is any as divine as he. In truth, in truth, in humiliation lies the cradle of glory. When you are humiliated, you lose all pride, all ego, you are down in the dust and don't forget that is the cradle Glory is being prepared, will be born if you have gone through it. So this is 1912, so we can imagine, how, what's her age? 78, 88, 98. She is 34. She is already revealing all the paths, all the secret. That's why Shubindu had to say, when people said, my mother is a disciple of Shubindu, she said, no, no, no. She has had all the experience and realizations. And then there is there are things on meetings when people used to ask a question. 
and everybody had to answer. For example, on, on a meeting on 7th May 1912, the question asked is, what is the most useful work to be done at the present moment? And this particular one uh, answer is like a charter. Those who want to know what is the mission statement of the mother, you'll find it in this um, question of the month, which is 7th May, or question of the week, 7th May 1912. What is the most useful work is a charter laid down by her for herself and for all of us. What is my place in the universal work? And she starts by saying, we all have a role to fulfill. A work to accomplish. A place which we alone can occupy. Then, of course, it goes on. And uh, as I said, each of them is beautiful. We are just taking a window glimpse. What is the greatest obstacle in ourselves to our consecration to impersonal work? So... <laughs> Let me leave all this as suspense. Each of them is very beautiful. And of course he says the illusion of a personality. <laughs> I am someone, something. Of course then there is a true person. But this illusion of the limited personality which we call as ourselves is the obstacle. I am the obstacle. Atmane vatmano bandhu atmane atmana. Then we understand it in its deeper sense. And she also gives us a way how to get rid of it, how to come out of it. What is the psychological difficulty which I can best study by experience? So, something she says that in each one of us there is a difficulty which is more central than all the others. It is the one which relative to the part we have to play in the world is like the shadow of that light. A shadow which gradually dissolves, fades more and more as the light becomes more intense. She is giving us a way. How to deal with the shadow? Increase the light. Increase the aspiration. That alone can dissolve. You can't fight with darkness while still in the darkness. More brilliant, more powerful and extends to the whole being. And then of course he speaks about uh, the problem of excessive sensitivity which many sadhaks experience when they are in a uh, state of transition. So, the hard egoistic person, uh, what is it called? Thick skin. They don't feel, they don't care. So, they can't understand those who are very sensitive. They say, ah, what is this? You should be like me, thick skin. Mother says, no, no, that's not what you have to become. You have left that behind. So what you have to be, this also is not a good state. Yes, this is a transition state. From here, you have to go to that state where we are more or less impersonal. Meaning thereby again this illusion of personality which gets hurt. This is a process. In fact, it is a sign that we are ready for the spiritual life. One of the signs. It is called as the ego has become ripe. Paka ami. Ripe mango or ripe uh, ego. Then it is ready to drop off. What improvement can we bring in our meetings? How can one become master of one's thought? First condition, second condition, third condition, fourth condition, fifth condition. All this so easy, simple practice. The power of words. And then she speaks of, you know, how words can help, harm, all kinds. And then finally, she also speaks about Om. More than any other sound. 
This sound Om gives rise to a feeling of peace, of serenity, of eternity. Moreover, this word is instinct with the mental forces which for centuries all those who have used it have accumulated around the idea that it expresses. And for Hindus especially, it has the power of bringing one into contact with the divine essence it invokes. So when first time Om was uttered in the mother's presence, she saw the the room filled with the divine presence. And... um, Again, when first time somebody invoked Agni, she saw the God appear before her. So she saw the room filled with her presence, with the divine presence. And as Orientals have a religious mind and the habit of concentration, few pronounce this word without putting into it the conviction that is needed to make it fully effective. In China, a similar effect is obtained with a word of identical meaning and somewhat similar sound, the word Tao. It's Tao, it's written as Tao, but pronounced as Tao. Our Western languages are less expressive. So he goes on to, you know, that uh, one can master the word to this extent that one can simply say, May the peace of equilibrium be with you, may the highest good be yours, and even it can provide transmitting true gifts such as the gift of healing. One can even heal by the power of words. The doctors need to hear that because most doctors feel medicine is cure and uh, they are so full of themselves fear uh, and especially when they see the x-ray plate and the or the reports and the patient is waiting like some sentence uh, Yamraj is going to pass a sentence few more years to live so, you know, and the doctor also is such a serious face, lack of humor, no smile. God knows, you know. So, but there are beautiful doctors also. All that they need to say, don't worry, you'll be fine. <laughs> what is there? Divine is there, he takes care. And you have to do it within a conviction because you have lived like that. It cannot, you can't even say it as a cliche because deep inside you'll say, Bolto diya, <laughs> I don't know what is going to happen. It doesn't work like that. When you live that, you, you can just say, Don't worry, she will take care. Everything will be fine. And it has a magical effect. This is a power accessible to all, but it needs to be developed. But we have developed, science has made us develop the power of fear. What is the most useful idea? To spread and what is the best example to to set. So, which minds are nearest to me and what is my ideal work among them? And she speaks about physical um, togetherness, then vital uh, togetherness, intellectual companionship, psychic and spiritual togetherness. And she says, very rarely there will be somebody who will be close to you on all the levels. It's an exception. And what should be our work? She says very clearly, We should assist the sensitivity of those who are attracted to us because they have identical taste. Okay, with certain exceptions, material help is the best assistance we can give to the members of our family or to those whom we chance to meet in the street, in trains, in ships, in buses, etc. Pecuniary help and in case of illness of danger or danger. This you can help with money and material help. So, this is, see, this idea of uh, 
rain, different rain which was there in in uh, Indian thought, Vedic thought had such deep meaning. So those who are connected with the bhu, with the soil, then uh, we can as we should assist the sensitivity of those who are attracted to us because they have identical tastes to help them refine their taste tendencies. Artistic or otherwise, by rectifying, balancing or canalizing their sense energies. We can help those who by a common aspiration for progress have been brought into contact with us through our example by showing them the path and through a love by smoothing the way for them. Love and example. Finally, we must allow the light of our intelligence to shine for those who come close to us as a result of mental affinity so that, if possible, we may widen their field of thought and enlighten their ideal. And she says how these affinities express themselves. And there are some very interesting, like, one of them which is, uh, which is, you know, when she is in Japan and when she meets different masters, she speaks about herself and then again, there is another one on thought, on thought too. It's a big, big write-up. And all of them are very simple and actually very practical. And actually, if one really reads and puts into practice all that is given here, frankly, the entire yoga practice is there. On thought three, because thought is the basis for all of us. We become aware through our thoughts. We are otherwise most of the time not even aware of what's happening. And thought is a mediator divinity. Thought can be used to help us to take a flight to the sky. Where you have to leave thought and enter into experience. But it takes us. It can help bring that light into our body and mind and other areas. So she speaks about thought at great length and I'm, uh, it's, it's a pity that modern psychology is not only not aware, I mean this is something we should be taught in our universities. Those who want to understand the mind, this, this is nothing about any sectarianism or cult or this way or that way. Who doesn't uh, need to master thought? Thought is the basis of habits, actions, character. So, thought mastery is so important. At the end, that's why she says, So let us watch over our thoughts. Let us strive to create for ourselves an atmosphere of beautiful and noble thoughts. And we shall have done much to hasten the advent of terrestrial harmony. Thoughts have... Then the central thought... Which again she says we bear God within ourselves. She speaks about charity. Again the different levels at which charity operates. And, and here she like depending on what we have. And she says it, it basically it's in, uh, sprung from the heart of love. And it's a recognition of the universal self. That's how charity means. It means that. 
whereas there are some who just cut themselves and they go into isolation they think that you know by cutting ourselves we can find the highest which is okay that's one of the paths but what she seems to suggest is we are like channels if we do not allow what they have received to pour out freely not only do they become blocked and no longer receive anything but what they contain will spoil it's like a pond because you're not letting the currents flow if on the contrary we allow all this flood of vital intellectual and spiritual forces but of course it's understood that not all kinds of forces the true forces to which one should open to flow abundantly if by impersonalizing ourselves we know how to connect our little individuality to the great universal current what we give will be returned to us a hundredfold so first of all it is the you know shastra they say vidya is the greatest dhanam and whatever you give comes back to you thousandfold not that one should do it with the idea ah, i am going to get it back <laughs> but possibly because the channel will become wider and wider simply because you are letting it pour more and more will come because you are letting it flow into the world so this is one of the ways to actually widen oneself and to receive more and more to know how not to cut ourselves off from the great universal current to be a link in the chain which must not be broken this is the true science the very key of charity see lok sangraharth of the gita shri krishna says there is nothing that i need to do nothing that i need to have and yet i engage in action if i were not to engage in action the world would collapse see what a beautiful way she is revealing this truth and then she says that you know the practical difficulties applying this truth because yes ignorance and egoism indiscriminately we just give and and at the end she says yes there is a sublime charity one which rises from a happy heart from a serene soul one who has one inner peace is a herald of deliverance wherever he goes a bearer of hope and joy is not this what poor and suffering humanity needs above all things what a contrast to roti kapda or makan what humanity needs hope joy peace wisdom and if you have it you just radiate it you don't have to do anything extra just the mere presence like we have the story where yudhishthir's presence itself all the beings in the nether world they say please stay a little more because uh, we feel so for some time the hell is no more hell we feel peace we feel calmer and then yudhishthir yudhishthir had only two more two small brief seconds or minutes to be in hell so they say that's enough you spoke half a truth once so that's but he says now i won't go why because they need me they are healed because of my presence and of course then the scene changes so these are the great truths of gifts in indian thought there are so many stories of raja shivi to what extent giving can go 
Yes, there are certain men whose thoughts are all love, who radiate love, and the mere presence of these individuals is a charity more active, more real than any other. Though they utter no word and make no gesture, yet the sick are relieved. You have to just go around. <laughs> That's it. Not the show me the chart and pulse and temperature and everything. Yet the sick are relieved. The tormented are soothed. The ignorant are enlightened. The wicked are appeased. Those who suffer are consoled and all undergo this deep transformation which will open new horizons to them, enable them to take a step forward which no doubt will be decisive on the infinite path of progress. These individuals who, out of love, give themselves to all, you don't create barriers, huh? this I am an elite group in an elite cult, in an elite place. They don't do like that because they see the divine presence in all. Of course, they are not undiscerning. They know where to give what. But their hearts are not uh, that hatred, shrinking, jealousies, wickedness, fear, all that is gone. They are at peace. Who become the servants of all. Again, she is emphasizing this role. Are the living symbols of the supreme charity. And then she invites, I invite all of you here, my brothers, who aspire to be charitable, to join your thoughts with mine. Sangachattam, Sangvadattam. See the truths of the Upanishad. What is that? Sena Bhavatu, Sainaho Bhunaktu. Same truth she is revealing. I invite all of you to join. Who aspire to be charitable, to join your thought with mine in expressing this wish, that we may strive to follow their example a little more each day, so that we may be like them in the world, messengers of light and love. So then, of course, some of her talks, Abdul Baha was one of the, we know that he was... Uh, his father, Baha'u'llah, was the founder of the Baha'i faith. And uh, he was imprisoned and then his son, Abdul Baha, uh, he also grew in that and then subsequently he was released. But uh, his father had been tortured so much. It's a strange faith because though it has developed in the context of the Islamic ideology, but they believe in uh, the avatar, they believe in Vishnu. It's a very interesting faith. Uh, and um, the 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 son of the founder, Abdul Baha, he was then the next head. And he wanted the mother to take over. And she refused, just like Tagore also wanted, she refused. She knew that that's not the work she has to do, but something much more. And one day when he was a little unwell, she asked him, asked her to speak. He used to give the talks. He said, no, no, you please speak. And that's when she spoke. And one of her prayers where, you know, she speaks about, the light emerging. Uh, it's here that she says something very interesting. And this is a Chaldean initiation. People often ask the reference of this. Especially in Shurabindu society, we have this idea of 12 members. So those who are listening, here is the reference. When you are 12 united in righteousness, you will manifest the ineffable. Please, the condition is, 
It reminds me of that joke of Shirobindo. United in righteousness is important. Um, where Niruddha asked him, Oh sir, this blessed, blessed boil within the nostril and Shirobindo gives him. Uh, he says, Okay, I have a mantra to give you. And uh, he, um, he gives, it's a very funny interchange. He says, Sir, I repeated the mantra and nothing happened. He says, Oh, I forgot to tell you that you have. it has to be done with four Brahmins who are not pot-bellied and who are free of all sexual thoughts. Now, you know, it has this kind of a combination. <laughs> so, one is not a Brahmin just because one is Sharma or Pandey or X, Y, Z. So, here also he is saying, Twelve united in righteousness. This you will say later on also in one of our talks. But it's not like twelve people come together and uh, just sit and one person's mind is scattered. And the, they are sadhaks, to say the least. Not just members, because they have joined. So we should uh, correct this. This is there in many people. Okay, twelve members, and now you know because I made twelve. Twelve is a sacred number, but that's why we should be very careful that sacred means it is sacred, not uh, any twelve. Some of the prayers are there, which were found later on, and uh, notes and reflections, mysteries of ascent towards God, parallel movements towards the Supreme Light. I just want to finish it with one small little thing, or uh, two small things. The one is on the war. So this is nowadays war is going on. How does the divine see the war? So she, the mother used to, as she has actually participated in the first world war, uh, going to the front line to take care of the wounded, to take them back, to heal them. She actually, her nerves suffered a lot during that time. Because she was, she's a mother. So even then she was just taking everybody's agony. The moment she will see somebody suffering, she will take their agonies. So that nerves which were tormented because she was just taking it. So she suffered so much and then uh, when she came in the presence of Shiva, all this went away. Much later when she was doing yoga of the cells, then it comes back again because it was buried in the subconscious. So when she was tackling the subconscious, it comes up. So that's a way she would take it and... Read one little passage. Okay. This, uh, all those who go into the war zone, this toward the end of this, a clearly defined zone from the point of view of the active influences and atmosphere are seized, carried away, impersonalized in a formidable current as impetuous as a raging ocean. You know, this idea that we think suffering and all that, actually, it's Rudra who is at work, sometimes Kali at work. And at that point of time, there is a what can be called a sun. You, you are as if you don't feel anything. That is the way it operates. You may call it the divine grace. You are not, you know, oh, what may happen? What This may happen, that may happen. You are into it. In that zone, it's an atmosphere which is created by the tremendous forces which are operating in that region. They are disindividualized, as it were, reduced to an elemental state. Oh, what may be happening in my home? Somebody may be suffering. These We try to intellectualize it. But at that point, because if you have these uh, feelings, you can't actually participate. To the state of 
natural forces which like the wind the storm or the waters accomplish their earthly work moved by a will of which they are unconscious they are no longer men but masses that move and act and even the innumerable instances which seem to spring from courage from individual heroism are yet taken to the heroism of bees or ants almost mechanical gesture instinctive gestures induced in an isolated element by the collective consciousness of the genius of the race and there are so many stories one could say it can be a whole thing and then when she discards all mental constructions she she sees something interesting at present these forces for the major part at least are closely linked to the divine consciousness which is guiding their surging flood this how sanatan dharma looked at war not apologies we go oh, so many have died now let's you know uh, stop everything that's not how this weakness this cowardliness almost war is war people die but when you stand for an ideal you stand for an ideal you don't leave it halfway that's what you know he made sure that arjun halfway through no no now bhishma is gone i think they will agree let's do a treaty what does shri krishna would have said he had cleared him right in the beginning <laughs> by his own vaishnavi maya when you stand for a truth and an ideal you stand for a truth and an ideal in 71 the mother wanted indian army to march into lahore karachi and take over we didn't and we are we know now the consequences even now so much hesitation people have shrinking nobody should want war certainly not nobody should be the attacker and aggressor certainly not but when it is thrust upon one the kshatriya the hero the yodha he accepts it as a challenge it's his path towards the glory that's how a true warrior looks at it in ancient time people wanted to go abhimanyu literally says no no i want to go that's how the warriors were so it is the divine consciousness which is guiding their surging flood directing the flow of their seemingly untamed and untamable torrent indeed because it is not subject to any mental guidance they obey its impulsion will they know how will they be able to obey to the very end that's where the question lies will they not let themselves be carried away by their own movement will not kali the longer she dances lose control over her dance all depends on the clarity with which the divine will can be manifested upon earth so we must be very clear that everything has a divine element and a divine aspect and then she speaks about women and the war and uh, to the women in japan one small little thing on women and men mother is woman centering the internal feminine okay so all men should read it and of course all women should read it but she says that both are equal at fundamentally but they have their own mode of expression she does not say equal in the sense uh, man is woman woman is man and man is woman are something else and something else is something else and it could be anything at the end a confusion Uh, she says they are equal fundamentally, and uh, they are two different modes of expression of the one divine, 
and then there is a very beautiful essay on to uh, to the women of japan where she speaks about uh, the superman and his coming she says lot of restlessness in the earth is because nature is waiting to manifest the superman which will be born out of the womb of a woman and she gives beautiful hints about what a superman would be uh, and some of the things very beautifully i'll just read and then we will stop and she says that uh, okay <clears throat> who will be the individuals who will most help the future of the race there are passages here which seem to be right from the human cycle so they are not put as quotes therefore the individuals who will most help the future of humanity in the new age will be those who will recognize a spiritual evolution as the destiny and therefore the great need of the human being an evolution or conversion of the present type of humanity into a spiritualized humanity even as the animal man has been largely converted into a highly mentalized humanity they will accept evolution they will feel ki this is the way the the path they will be comparatively indifferent to particular belief and form of religion and leave men to resort to the beliefs and forms to which they are naturally drawn they will only hold as essential the faith in the spiritual conversion they will especially not make the mistake of thinking that this change can be affected by machinery and outward institutions they will know and never forget that it has to be lived out by each man inwardly or it can never be made a reality one last bit when the vital will is submitted to the mental power then the life of the individual or of the society becomes moral that's what man is when you tame the animal by the mental will it's not transformation but it's like you you're not like going like a wild animal whatever you feel like i will do what i wish to do that's that's not a human being that's a animal in the guise of a man but human beings become human when they master the vital by the help of the mind so what about uh, the superman this is man the moral the ethical but it is only when both vital will and mental power are equally submissive to something higher to the supermind that human life is exceeded that true spiritual life begins the life of the superman for his law will come from within so that is why he will not operate according to the standard operating procedures or the conventional notions conventional ideas traditional ideas of good and bad right and wrong he will be op- guided by something much deeper and higher and while from the outside it won't be understood many times who understood krishna and yet it he will be um, driven by this deeper and higher guidance only thing common will be that he will not be moved by egoistic motives laws or customs and selfish aims that will be the real thing but that is something inside so obviously people won't know 
And let me close this with this. This is the last before tales of all times. Who is the mother? She is talking about herself, myself and my creed. This I find very interesting when people say, the mother of Sri Aurobindo Ashram Pondicherry. I belong to no nation, no civilization, no society, no race, but to the divine. I obey no master, no ruler, no law, no social convention, but the divine. To him I have surrendered all, will, life and self. For him I am ready to give all my blood, drop by drop, if such is his will, with complete joy and nothing in his service can be sacrificed for all is perfect delight. Japan, February 1920. After this, they started back. She started back for India, Pondicherry. And let me close with a prayer. May this become the truth of all of us. Namaste.